there are only four matches left to play at the 2023 African Cup of Nations. Two semifinals, one consolation final, and the actual final. And then it's all over. Um, what's up, everybody? My name is Meher Mazahi. I'm your host of this African Five Side podcast. Um, this podcast is brought to you by AfricaIsACountry.com. And despite the fact that I'm back in Algeria, I'm no longer in Cote d'Ivoire. My AFCON's been cut short by some family commitments. I'm really, really still determined and dedicated to get this coverage to you for these last four matches. Um, I can't believe it's almost over. I'm going to say that one last time. Uh, there are two matches in the semifinals, of course. We have Nigeria versus South Africa. We have DR Congo versus Cote d'Ivoire. Let's start by breaking down this first match, Nigeria versus South Africa. For those of you that don't know, this is actually a pretty big rivalry uh, in football and in politics. Um, and it starts really around the 1990s. Um, this is when Nigeria, under a military dictatorship, um, they start according licenses to multinational corporations to exploit oil um, on Ogoni land. Ogoni is a small ethnicity, uh, tribal ethnicity in, in southeastern Nigeria. And as a result, this was very, you know, it causes a lot of pollution and the Agoni people, they start uprising. And there's one activist in particular, Ken Sarawiwa, that uh, leads the youth of the Agoni people um, against this exploitation. Eventually, what happens is that uh, Ken Sarawiwa is accused, him and I think eight others are accused of killing some Agoni chiefs. Um, according to, you know, the consensus in international law, uh, this was a farcical trial where uh, basic tenets of the rule of law were not followed. Nonetheless, he was accorded the death penalty and executed. Why am I telling you all of this? Because Nelson Mandela, at the time, uh, head of state of South Africa, he is hypercritical of the Nigerian regime and uh, its leader, Seni Abasha, at the time. And because of the war, he's really the one that leads the charge to kick Nigeria out of the British Commonwealth or out of the, I don't know what you call the Commonwealth, uh, after the British Empire. Is it still the British Commonwealth? But he leads that charge. And at the same time, um, I think Nigeria are uh, prohibited from part taking part in, I think it's a rugby tournament in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. But what I do know for sure is that then Nigeria, you know, they decide to uh, not even send a team out to the 1996 African Cup of Nations. I mean, absolutely massive decision, especially considering the fact that Nigeria at the time are at the height of their powers. They win the 94 Cup of Nations, they win the 96 Olympic Games, they win the gold medal. And everybody, every Nigerian I talk to, young or old, will tell you that they were ready to win that 1996 AFCON as well. That was to take place in South Africa. And what happens instead? South Africa win. Nelson Mandela raises the trophy. I mean, what a story. And that really sparks a huge footballing rivalry between the two nations. I say huge, but Nigeria has dominated it, really. <laughs> Anyways, these are two sides that really have two different styles of play. Let's talk about the match now. Nigeria have only been averaging around 45% ball possession in this tournament. Um, they're probably going to let South Africa have the ball. And South Africa will probably be happy to keep the ball. They are the ones that will play the more attractive brand of football. Um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to show you guys a few different screenshots to kind of show you what I mean when I'm illustrating the two styles of play. Let's start with Nigeria. Nigeria are a side that, you know, are very uh, happy to sit back, but when they do get the ball, they're very vertical. Let's take a look at, for example, what happened against Angola in the round of, this is in the quarterfinals, actually, not in the quarterfinals, yeah, not the round of 16. Um, 
you just have a, a fairly simple ball uh, to Zaidu Senussi, the left back. But you see that Angolan midfielders are still fairly advanced. What you have to do if you're South Africa is that when you lose the ball, when Nigeria have the ball, you have to get back into your half of the pitch. You cannot try to uh, press Nigeria or try to play them one versus one because they're going to beat you vertically. So Zaidu Sanusi plays this long ball to Moses Simon and Kelonda Gaspar, one of Angola's best defenders, is going to try to close him down. But Moses Simon beats him with his pace. And as soon as he beats him with his pace, I mean, look at this. This is beautiful. You have Victor Osiman bearing down on goal and two uh, Angolan uh, players really focusing on him. You have the midfielder Estrella and you have uh, the other defender. And you have Adamola Lukman raising his arm already because this is what maybe we didn't notice when he watched the match, but they know he knows exactly that Victor Osiman is going to rush towards goal and that he's going to have some space that opens up at the penalty spot, which is exactly what happens. And Adamola Lukman uh, shoots this into the roof of the net. Now, how did Adamola Lukman know that that was going to happen? Well, because almost the exact same thing happened versus Guinea-Bissau. And this time, it's another long ball. Um, I believe from, it's not from Sami Ajayi, is it? No, it's not from Troost. It might be from Troost. It's a long ball, uh, maybe from Omaru. I'm not sure who the center half is. Um, and Ola Aina now is playing as, you know, uh, in an advanced position as left back. And what he's going to do is you're going to see that, again, Guinea-Bissau, their midfielders are all stuck in no man's land. And Nigeria players almost have, we have four Nigerian players against four Guinea-Bissau players. And Aina is just going to play this ball into space. Simon is going to latch onto it. And look at this. It's almost the exact same position that we have against Angola. And look who's making the runs. Simon is on the ball. Osimen is crashing towards goal. And Lukman is going to play that, that penalty spot Again, and what happens here is that Simon's ball, instead of going to Lukman this time, who was well marked by the Bissau Ghanaian player, unlike the Angolan player, uh, he tries to square this to Osimen, and Osimen can't get onto it, but Nigeria ends up scoring via an own goal, anyways. So you see, they're very, very deadly with their transitions and with their attacking play, and not to mention that they have great team chemistry. Um, I just want to show you a few more screenshots. Take a look at this against the Ivory Coast. Um, here we have Semi Ajayi dispossessing Seko Fofana. He's going to play a long ball. Okay, fairly simple long pass. But immediately look. Look how many Ivorian players are, are passed. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And all of a sudden we have two Nigerian players against three Ivorian defenders. Osimhen does a great job of holding the ball up. Beautiful back heel to Samuel Chakweze, I believe. And now Chakweze is off to the races. But just like that, in a matter of seconds, now you have, you know, again, two Nigerian players against two Ivorian defenders. Now, Chukweze probably holds onto the ball a little too long, and he wastes this opportunity. But you could see, even see Lukman was making the right, proper run on the diagonal here. Um, Lukman has been really good with his off-the-ball movement. So you see how easy it is for Nigeria to hurt you vertically. Um, it's so, so, so impressive. The last screenshot I'll show you of Nigeria, it's, it's another occasion, um, Cote d'Ivoire match as well. Uh, there's a, a set piece that comes in. And what, you're gonna, what you should pay attention to when Nigeria defends set pieces, Victor Osimhen is always back there defending. But what Nigeria will do is they'll post uh, Moses Simon and Adam Olukman, uh as sort of 
players that are ready to counterattack if given the opportunity. And that's exactly what happens here. The ball comes in. Victor Oisemen wins this header. And immediately, we're off to the races with uh, Moses Simon. Gets the ball to Lookman. Gets the ball to Oisemen. And look at this. I mean, they know when they're defending set pieces, they know exactly what they have to do, and they have such great team chemistry. Unfortunately for Nigeria in this situation, uh, Osimhen is looking for Simon, um, but his ball is deflected, and uh, Cote d'Ivoire recover. But just to show you how quickly Nigeria can hurt you if you're not back in your position. So South Africa are going to have to do a great job in transition defense. Now, let's take a look at South Africa and why... Um, I think they could be very dangerous for Nigeria as well. Because Nigeria, as we mentioned, are really going to be okay with giving South Africa possession of the ball. Okay. On one hand, you're going to say Nigeria have been doing a great job defending anyways, you know, with their 3-4-3. They've only conceded one goal. I can understand if you're comfortable in that situation. If that means you can hurt teams vertically through transition play, I can understand that, that defending that way, right? But if it's one thing defending with that 3-4-3 or that 5-2-3 when you're playing against Cameroon, who's going to you know just pump in a bunch of crosses and who can't really break you down via open play. But South Africa can. Um, take a look at their goal against Morocco. It starts with, I believe this is Thibaut Mokwena making this entry pass. And look at Morocco. This was the, the main one of the main criticisms against Walid Regragi in Morocco um, after the tournament is that he was content with giving South Africa the ball. And that's what he did at the World Cup, you know, against teams like Spain and Portugal, other teams that are very uh, comfortable being on the ball. So for me, it made sense. Like, okay, we know that Morocco is a fantastic out-of-possession team. They can give South Africa the ball, no worries, and they can hit to hurt them on the counter. But here we have McQuenna making an entry pass. I'm not 100% sure who's receiving it. It might be Setole. I think it is Setole. And then I believe you have Setole. But look, look at Setole's positioning. Look, look where he finds that half space in between the lines, you know? It's beautiful. And maybe one of the Moroccan midfielders needs to pay more attention. Maybe it's Salim Amalah, maybe it's uh, Sofian Amrabat, and they need to come back and mark him. But nobody does. And he receives this entry pass. And as soon as he receives the entry pass, look at this, Tembazwani also looking for a way that he can help Satole out. Ball goes to Zwane. Zwane plays it immediately into Makopa. And here in Morocco make... A real defensive mistake is Sais is trying to play Makopa offside and he does successfully, but Mazraoui is not in line with him. And so Makopa latches onto the ball and he manages to score. I mean, that's that's beautiful, isn't it? But that's what South Africa can do if you give them possession of the ball and you back off. It's the combination play, the interplay, the third man runs off of the ball that they excel at. And if Nigeria are just content let them have the ball they need to make sure that every man is accounted for because with just three or four passes one touch one touch one touch one touch south africa can knife you open because they have not only that technical quality of football but because also the players obviously know each other very very well with that mamalodi sundowns base right uh finally let's take a look at this uh action from south africa versus namibia here i believe we have a ball coming in from modiba uh makopa Zwane, again, this is what you call a perfect, you know, third man off the ball run. Modiba's making this pass. He knows Zwane. Zwane knows the, ball, the ball's not coming to him. But he knows if Makopa gets this, I can find space as a third man runner off the ball. Beautiful. Makopa, Zwane, and now you're in a one-on-one -on -one situation. 
And again, they do a good job in this one-on-one situation of making the right runs. You have Tapelo Morena making a run, and you have Macopa making a run. Look how beautiful that is. One is charging the goal, and the other one is uh, at the penalty spot wide open. And Zwane could have slotted it back to Macopa, but he decides to go for goal, and he scores. And I mean, as long as the player scores, you can't fault him, right? So beautiful, beautiful play with a third uh, man off the ball run from South Africa. So again, it's, it's about... You have two different styles, right? And you say, well, who's going to win? Which style is better? But in football, it isn't about which style is better. It's about who's going to execute their style better. Will South Africa be able to break down Nigeria via open play? Despite them sitting back in their 3-4-3, will they be able to find those half spaces? Will they be able to make those uh, third man off the ball runs? Or, you know, will South Africa be able to defend that transition Effectively, will they be able to, as soon as they lose the ball, get back and and, and not be attacked by Nigeria's vertical counterattacking play? I mean, it's just for me, it's a fascinating uh, battle. It's difficult to predict, um, but I, I'm really, really looking, looking forward to this one. Um, some other factors to consider: South Africa have had a crazy travel schedule. They've played in every single city uh, that have hosted matches in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, I think they're the only side to to do that. Um, Another thing to consider, both teams really haven't been rotating. The coaches, they know who their starting 11 are, and they've been pretty stringent and stuck on that. And so I don't know what that's going to look like, you know, after 90 minutes, if it goes into extra time. Extra time, And I don't know what that's going to look like against Cote d'Ivoire and Congo, both of who have been rotating uh, very, very well. That's something to keep an eye on as well. Finally, uh, breaking news right now as I'm recording, Victor Oisiman didn't travel with the team Um to Buake, I, think, I believe he's having abdominal issues. Um, as soon as he makes a recovery, he is expected to join the team and play in this match. So we'll see how that goes. I hope this isn't an appendicitis or something like that. And I hope he will be fit for the match because we all know how important he is. But if Osimen isn't fit, are you going to play Tara Mafi? Are you going to play Kleche Ihenacho? And those players both have zero minutes in their legs in this AFCON. And so maybe Jose Pacero is going to pay the price for not rotating enough and not getting his other players you know, important minutes. The matchups I'm looking forward to, if we're going to, you know, um, pick two players in a matchup, Victor Osimen versus Ronwen Williams, that could be a great one, right? Ronwen Williams sets a record by saving four penalties in five kicks. That's the first time it's ever been done in an AFCON. And I think it's the only time it's ever been done in an inter- international competition for the first five kicks. I think there have been other goalkeepers that have saved four penalties. But I don't think it's ever been done in the first five kicks. I might be wrong. Uh, Grant Kakana, speaking about Ronwin Williams, said <laughs> we should make him minister of finance. He can save the South African economy. He can save anything. Uh, that was brilliant. But the other um, the other uh, matchup that I'm looking forward to is Adam Olelukman. Three goals in this tournament now. He's become the Adam Olelukman, you know, that we all thought he could. We all thought he had the potential to become. Him versus Taboo Mokwena. Mokwena has been one of the better defensive midfielders. And I, I, me personally, I enjoy, I enjoy Mokwena more for his uh, passing on the ball, his striking on the ball, you know, towards goal. But defensively, I think he's going to have to be aware of Lukman's movement because, as we showed you, his movement can be absolutely lethal. <clears throat> Overall, if I have to make a prediction, um, I'm going <laughs> to... I know South Africans and Bafana are not going to be happy, but I think it's going to be Nigeria again, just because they create so many opportunities, they so many shots, they lead the tournament in shots and XG, 
um, but they haven't been scoring that much. And it has to change, right? Sooner or later, they're going to start scoring those opportunities. I mean, look at Osimhen last match. He scores a goal, and he's like half a centimeter offside. Um, so I'm not going to bet against Osimhen. I'm not going to bet against Nigeria. Um, I'm sorry, but <laughs> again, I really do like your team. Um, I just think Nigeria um, have this one in the bag. Anyways, I've been picking against Bafana pretty consistently, and they keep winning somehow, some way. So uh, you guys should be happy with me picking against South Africa. Let's talk about the second preview, um, Cote d'Ivoire versus Congo. Uh, another very, very interesting match. I think it's a little less interesting than Nigeria for South Africa for me, but still very interesting. We talked about, you know, the extra sporting uh, rivalry um, between South Africa and Nigeria. Well, how about other extra sporting factors in this match? Um, DR Congo, um, they're dealing with a really tragic situation at home at the moment. Really over the last, oh, it's definitely been more than a year now, maybe 18 months, maybe more than that. Um, well, I think it's a decades-long conflict, but it's things have been really heating up in the last more than a year. Um the Congolese government has been struggling to deal with these M23 rebels um, who, you know, most credible international institutions believe are backed by Rwanda. And um, what happened was that just yesterday there were killings and bombings in the city of, on the outskirts of the city of Goma, I believe. Uh, two bombings. The bombs fell from, they were shot out from the mountains and fell and killed innocent civilians. And you see Sean Salambamba, Cedric Bakambu, Theo Bongonda, Gideon Kalulu, amongst many others, all talk about it on social media, saying stop the genocide in DR Congo. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. It's tragic, but it's also fascinating. You hate to like take real life problems and bring them into football, but I just wonder, is this going to motivate the players? Is this going to distract them? Because that, that's my job. I'm a football journalist. I'm not here to comment on international issues. There are people way more qualified and way more knowledgeable than me. But bringing it into a football sphere, again, football is the least important thing of, or it's the most important thing of all the least important things. Um, how is this going to affect the Congolese team? Besides that, um, Cote d'Ivoire are the only side... Let's, go, let's get back to the football. Cote d'Ivoire are the only side to have played back-to-back -back 120 minutes against Senegal and then against Mali. Uh, they were in Yamoussoukro and Bouake for their knockout stage matches, and now they're in back in Mbimpe in Abidjan. Whereas DRC uh, are about to play the second consecutive match in Mbimpe, and they also have one extra day of rest, um, if I'm not mistaken. So... That's very, very interesting. DR Congo should be the fresher side with less travel, more rest um, than Cote d'Ivoire are. Cote d'Ivoire are going to be without four players. Kwame, Diakite, Orie, Kusunu. Uh, all suspended due to an accumulation of yellow cards or red cards. Um, and DR Congo, uh, I think the main question for them from a personal perspective is, is Gael Kakuda going to be back? And if he is, what does that mean for the team? Because... Well, if he's back, that means he's, he has such great passing range that that means that DRC's off-the-ball runners, players like uh, Johan Wissa or whoever the striker is, whether that's Mayeli or Bakambu, they, you know, they're really going to uh, benefit. So let's talk about the match. Um, first of all, Cote d'Ivoire are going to play you know, their, their traditional 4-3-3. DR Congo are going to play their 4-2-3-1. Cote d'Ivoire's 4-3-3... Um, 
is tends to be one that monopolizes possession. They're going to play short, slow passes, progress the ball up the pitch, horizontally, up and down, up and down, up. And essentially what they end up doing is they get the, the ball to their one-on-one -on -one players on the wing and they let them have at it. And when you have players that are in form, uh, it works great. And when you have players that are out of form, it looks horrible. Um, so I think one of the most essential things here is the personnel decisions that Emers Faye makes because is Sebastian Aller fit? If he is, that's going to force Kodivart to play more direct long balls because, you know, in 75 minutes last match, he won for, or he, he was, he participated in 14 duels. And I know that was a different context because they only had 10 players. And, you know, when you have less men, you can't really matriculate the ball up the pitch with short passes. You're going to play long passes. But Aller playing will force Kodivart to be more direct for sure. Is Simon Adingra fit? <laughs> if it weren't for Simon Adingra, Kodivar would be home. Well, they are they are home, but the players would have been at their clubs uh, probably a week ago. He came on against Senegal with 15 minutes to play, I believe. Uh, fed, you know, dribbled past one player, saved the ball, fed Sebastian Eller, who fed Nicolas Pepe. They won the penalty, and then Kessier scored. And then against Mali, he comes on in the 86th minute, and I don't understand Emers fight. How can you put him on in the 86th minute? You couldn't have, like. There's no way he's only fit enough to play four minutes. 86th minute, and he ends up scoring in the 88th minute. And and his dribbling ability, his ability to carry the ball, his rapport with Allaire, if you notice, when Allaire goes up to, to flick the ball on, Adingra is always within five or ten yards of him. He's absolutely crucial to, to Cote d'Ivoire having success as well. So those two players, Allaire and Adingra, if they can play, and then you could throw anybody on the right. Well, not Jaquita, he's suspended, but probably Maxelin Gradel, maybe Nicola Pepe, depends what Faye is thinking. I personally think it makes more sense to play with Gradel um, because, well, we'll talk about that in a second, but because Arthur Masuaku is such a menace on the left uh, wing for, for DRC. Um, so uh, we said if Kwame and Jaquita are out, let's say Alera Dingra. Uh, Gradel, it's probably going to be the same midfield, you know, with Jean-Michel Seri, uh, who was a little bit worse last game than he was in his first game against Senegal, but still brings good balance alongside Frank Kessier and Seko Fofana. And then in defense, you're going to have Gislain Conan for sure, Evan Indica for sure. Those are the two that have been great for Cote d'Ivoire in defense. The main problem has been right center back and right back. Um, and without Aurier and without Kosonu, you have to think that it's going to be Willy Bully and uh, Wilfred Single. Um, which I actually think could be a good thing for Cote d'Ivoire because both of those players are very strong in the air. And DR Congo, after Cameroon have been eliminated, are now the side that crosses the ball the most in this tournament. Um, we talked about Cote d'Ivoire's style of play. DR Congo's style of play is uh, a little more vertical than, than, than Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire will have so many passes they're the side that I think has the most possession in this tournament out of all the teams that are left. The side that have passed the ball the most in this tournament out of all the teams that are left. Dear Congo, if you notice, every time a player picks up the ball, they're not looking left. They're not looking right. They're not looking well, left, right. They're not looking backwards. They're always looking forwards. They are one of the league team, one of the competition leaders in progressive passes and progressive runs. Um, they're not in a rush like Nigeria are to, to get, catch you out of position, but they're always moving forward, always moving forward, always moving forward. So 
Um, and then what ends up happening is they get the ball out to the wings, and it's either Ilya Meshak or Arthur Masueku putting in crosses, two players with the most crosses in this tournament uh, that are left. So yeah, I think it's going to be a, a very interesting match. I think DRC are going to try to get the ball out wide. They're going to try to um, they're going to try to get the ball out wide. They're going to try to put in a lot of crosses, uh, whereas um, Cote d'Ivoire are going to try to be a little more creative uh, with the likes of Seko Fofana. He can be a, a big goal threat, um, or they're going to get the player. They're going to try to maybe work with Adingra. Um, but it depends. It's hard to judge Cote d'Ivoire because, you know, we haven't seen Alaire and Adingra uh, throughout the tournament. So um, it, it kind of is hard to project what they're going to do simply because their their players haven't played that much. Um, when matchups I'm going to be looking out for, we have Chancel Mbamba against Sebastian Alaire if he does start. I mean, that's a great one, right? Because Mbamba is like a spiritual leader. He's so physical. He's great in the air. And, and the mental fortitude you know last game for example he concedes a penalty 10 minutes later he scores the equalizer he realized he's at fault and he makes up for it so that's going to be a great one for me and then the other one is going to be the one i touched on a little bit earlier arthur masuaku versus whoever's going to be right back for um Cote d'Ivoire. i think it can't be nicola pepe he's not going to do enough work defensively and then even nicola pepe is such a great penalty kick taker that i think you want can leave him like have him as somebody that could be an impact sub that can come on a little bit later in the match and that you could use in the penalty kick shootouts you know so i think it gradel makes more sense because he, he can play that right wing back position he can track back and maswaku is such an integral part of uh congo's attack that i think um, it makes more sense for me to have gradel uh, as a neutralizing factor there anyways uh i think we're gonna leave it at there it's a it's been a very very long uh preview um I can't wait to watch these matches tomorrow. Uh, I hope uh, you're all in the same mindset as me. Uh, we're going to have immediate reactions right after the matches, um, as usual. Thanks for keeping it locked in on the African Five Aside podcast. We'll speak to you soon. Peace.